chapter 11, as we continue in this series, Jesus' Parables, Wisdom for Life. Now, I know it's approaching Christmas, but if you preach four sermons every December, every year, you kind of narrow your preaching calendar. Some years we do that. But this year, I want us to stay in this passage because I think we need to pray. I think the need is so desperate. We'll be in full Christmas mode next week. But right now, I want us to look at Luke 11 because this gives us extraordinary encouragement to pray. As a kidney transplant patient, I have to take immunosuppressants to keep my body from rejecting the transplanted kidney. So when I get an infection, there isn't much to stop that infection from spreading. On September 22nd of last year, my wife Tara drove me to the emergency room. I had all the symptoms of sepsis, including a fever of 101. I have been septic four times. I know the symptoms. I have the participation ribbons. So on the way, I texted the prayer chain asking people to pray for me. The Bible says, bring all things to God in prayer. I don't assume anything. And at the emergency room, as normal, I had a hard time getting out of the car and walking in. I had a hard time sitting up straight, just like the other times. A blanket draped over me and my sweet arm, or sweet arm, my sweet wife with her arm around me. My sweet arm, my arm's pretty sweet too. <laughs> Fortunately, the place was pretty empty, so we only waited about 30 minutes before they triaged me. And as they asked me questions, I noticed I was starting to feel better. My temperature was normal, which I couldn't believe, but the nurse said, well, that can happen sometimes, so let's go get a room. So we took a winding path from the triage room to a room in the back of the ER, and I got cut off from Tara and, and the nurse by some EMS personnel. I mean, uh, you know, there's a couple of you here today, you know the way those EMS personnel are. <laughs> I'm joking, of course. So once they passed, I started walking really quickly to catch up to them, and I realized I feel fine. I feel completely fine. But I went ahead and changed into the hospital robe, got my blood drawn, and waited for the ER doc. And after about 30 minutes, I said, Tara, I'm changing clothes. I don't know what happened, but I'm perfectly fine. Well, the doc came in, said the blood work was normal for me, no signs of sepsis, but she rightly wanted to admit me for observation due to my history. And she very nicely tried to talk me into it, but I declined. And for the record, I looked up that medical record this week just to see what it would say. And it said, and I'm quoting, patient demonstrated the mental capacity for decision making. I've never been accused of that. <laughs> That's black print on a white page. I'll show you if you don't believe me. <laughs> Maybe she needed to get in the hospital. So we went home, and I was fine, and I am convinced, and I always will be, that God took away from my body whatever was attacking me at that time as an answer to prayer. Prayer makes a difference. Ephesians chapter 2 says God is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. Now, can we always identify exactly how it makes a difference? No. But by faith and sometimes by observation, we know that prayer makes a difference. So let's read these verses that give us this extraordinary encouragement to pray. Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 5. Then he, Jesus, said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come 
to me from a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside, he answers and says, do not bother me. The door has already been shut, and my children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find, and knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Now, suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he's asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The first thing I want you to see this morning is the problem of prideful prayerlessness. And I didn't alliterate this intentionally, but that's the way it comes out. The problem of prideful prayerlessness. Look at verse 5. In Jesus' day, hospitality was a cultural and biblical obligation. Bread was a staple food. And at verse 5, a friend comes to a man's house at midnight and he has nothing to feed him, so he goes next door to fulfill his obligation. He bangs on the door at midnight. That would be bold in our culture, and it was bold then too. So right away we see the point is that our prayer is to be bold, that we go to God without hesitation at all times in every situation. And yet, let's be honest, we sometimes find it difficult to pray at all, let alone boldly. Now, why is that? Well, there are two simple reasons. One is that Satan opposes prayer. He wants to harm the children of God. He wants to thwart the will of God. He wants to soil the name of God. So if he can deter or distract us from praying, he's won a temporary victory. And yet, not only does Satan oppose it, our sinful human nature wants to avoid it. And there are at least three reasons for that. The first is, let's just be honest, we lack the discipline to pray. Now, we fight a constant battle as Vance Habner used to say, not to be chloroformed by the culture, to be put to sleep, to be lulled into the idea that the decay around us is not that bad and the wrath of God is not building up against a wicked and sinful generation. It's not that urgent. And it's also a battle not to imbibe in so much of this world that we don't find the time to pray, to be more concerned about doing something, forgetting that we need the power of God to do anything so we don't pray because we lack the discipline to pray but there's also the distraction of praying the mind wanders and the flesh is weak I start praying for a person and maybe my shoelace comes untied or maybe I start praying for a person this is the truth I'll pray for a person I'll think wait a minute they're having surgery did I put that on my calendar so I grab my phone real quick and let me just check real quick. I'll go back to praying. and Oh, well, there's a text. Yeah, I better respond to that. And the next thing I know, I'm looking at last night's sports score. There's the distraction of praying. But the third reason I think is far more important than the other two, or far more prevalent, maybe I should say, and that is the doubt of praying. Does God really answer prayer? Oh, he does. He does. I'm not trying to cast doubt. But I want to be healed, and I prayed for four decades, and I'm not. 
And I have two kids with Crohn's disease, and I prayed for them to be healed, but they're not. But at least I can understand that biblically, right? Because we're to pray in God's will, and it's often not in God's will to heal. Now, why is that the case? Because all have sinned, the wages of sin is death. We're all going to die from something due to sin. Why would my family be an exception to that? Now, God has not lifted the burden away from me for that, so I still pray for healing. And while we're not healing, we have seen tremendous, gracious acts of mercy along the way. So we can navigate something like that, but what about when your marriage goes sour and you're miserable and you know God doesn't want divorce, you don't want your kids to experience that, you pray and you pray and you pray and nothing changes. What about when Alzheimer strikes in a family member? The person you once knew becomes a completely different person. You pray and you pray and you pray and nothing changes. What about the horrific acts of Hamas or what the Soviets did to pit millions under communism, what the Nazis did, Chairman Mao, what the Chinese are doing right now to Muslims and Christians in Western China? How do we navigate those things, especially in light of what we're told is the goodness of God? Now, we know the theological answer, right? Sin came into the world. All of creation is afflicted by it. These are the cascading results. But friend, your theology can be as straight as a gun barrel and it doesn't always salve the human heart. And here's why. When pain drags on for decades, when one problem creates another problem that creates a cascading domino of problems, and we pray and we pray and we pray to no avail, doubt can creep in, and we become discouraged from praying because it seems God doesn't answer. Now, we have to understand that God does always answer prayer. And there's a simple little fourfold way to remember that. Sometimes his answer is direct. You pray, he answers it. You can make the connection, just like I did with that situation with sepsis. No question, it's direct. Sometimes his answer is delayed. God's timing and our timing are usually quite different. In Revelation chapter 6, I had this in my quiet time this week. John saw people who had been persecuted unto death. In verse 10 of that chapter, they cried out with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? In other words, when are you going to take care of this, Lord? And he says, just a little while longer. Their prayer will be answered with extreme prejudice, but only in God's timing. From our standpoint, it's delayed. So sometimes it's direct, sometimes it's delayed, sometimes it's different. And I can see how God answered many prayers over the years, thankfully different from the way I prayed, but you can see it was an answer to prayer. His way was much different, much better, I should say. Sometimes his response is different, and sometimes you figure out that the answer is no. And when that happens, you begin to wonder, is it me? Am I not asking in faith? Am I grieving or quenching the Holy Spirit? And the heartache of the delayed or different or no answers can create doubt and unchecked. This ball begins to roll downhill. You think, well, nothing is happening, and I know God is sovereign, and I'm not getting an answer, so since God, why should I even pray since God is sovereign? What he decrees will happen anyway. 
Some teaching says that God has ordained every single thing from the beginning of time. Well, if God ordained from the foundation of the world that I'll raise my left hand and check the time and it's 1034, then why bother with anything? He's already decided it. You begin to psych yourself out and your praying goes from fatalistic to pessimistic to non-existent. If we were honest, prayerlessness is a tremendous problem. But I think the truth is that prayerlessness doesn't mostly come from doubt. Are you ready? It comes from pride. Plain old human pride. Why pray if I have prosperity and peace? We often don't find the time to pray because we're either trying to accomplish something or we're enjoying something. We don't find the time to pray because we're either accomplishing something or we're enjoying something. And that means we have forgotten that everything we have and everything we are, including the next breath we take, comes from God. Now, that's the problem of prideful prayerlessness. The second is this. The prophet of persistent prayerfulness. This man gets after it in verses 5 and 6. In an agrarian society, they went to bed when the sun went down. So this is kind of like banging on the door at 3 a.m. for us. Second, he asked for three loaves. This isn't what we would consider a loaf. He's asking basically for three everyday pieces of bread, enough to get by. Third, it's not an emergency. Yes, hospitality was highly valued, but his friend is not going to starve if he has to wait until sunrise. So his neighbor's response is predictable. Look again at verse 7. From inside, he answers and said, do not bother me. The door is already shut, and me and my children are in bed, and I cannot get up and give you anything. A house, then, was one large room, and everyone slept in that room, including the kids. So can you imagine? You're stepping over the kids. Your shoelace has been untied twice while you're preaching the sermon. <laughs> I'm going to get new shoelaces. And, you, I mean, you're not going to do that to wake everybody up for a few pieces of bread so in modern day vernacular he says what is your problem go away but look at verse 8 Jesus said I tell you even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend yet because of his persistence key word he will get up and give him as much as he needs it's the only time that word persistence is used in the Bible I looked that up. That's translated so many different ways into English. It's translated as shamelessness, insolent, and even disregard of others. But what this teaches us is to boldly and persistently come to him, bring all things to God in prayer. Now, Luke 18 contains a similar parable. Jesus said in Luke 18, verse 1, In a certain city there was a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. There was a widow in that city, and she kept coming to him saying, Give me legal protection for my opponent. For a while, he was unwilling. But afterward, he said to himself, Even though I do not fear God or respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she'll wear me out. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge said now Will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? If a callous judge will give a poor widow what she needs because of her persistence, how much more will this judge give you and I, his children, what you need because of your persistence? 
Now, let's be clear on that one. God is not like that judge. That gets confused sometimes. The judge was bothered by the widow. God is never bothered by us. The judge did not want the widow to keep coming. God invites us to keep coming. The judge did not care about the widow. God cares about you. The judge only cared about himself. Jesus cared so much about us that he went to the cross. So Jesus is not like the judge. And by the way, we are not like the widow. The widow had no husband. We're part of the bride of Christ. The widow had no advocate. Our advocate is the Lord Jesus Christ. The widow was not related to the judge. We are a child of the judge. So how much more will he answer his child? Adrian Rogers said prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. Prayer is laying hold of God's willingness. Now, that's the profit of persistent praying. Number three, the promise of the Heavenly Father, verse 9. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Now, those are tough verses. So remember the context is king in biblical interpretation. Look up at verse 1. The disciples have asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. So verse 2, he said, pray. Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. That's a prayer for two things. We've been talking about this here on Wednesday Night Bible Study. First, that's a prayer for the kingdom of God to come and rule and reign in your life. Every kingdom has a king, so when you're saved, Jesus sets up his rule and reign in your heart. So pray that your every word, thought, and deed will be subject to the lordship of Christ. And yet it's not just a prayer for the kingdom of God to rule in your life. It's a prayer for the second coming of Christ. Jesus, come again, Maranatha. Come and establish your eternal kingdom with us. So what we learn here is we pray boldly and persistently with the lordship of Christ is the overarching theme. Now drop down to verse 9. To ask is to pray. But then we also seek. Seeking is stronger than asking. And then we knock. Knocking is stronger than seeking. Ask means to make a request. Seek indicates our desire. Knock means you're expecting an answer. You knock by faith. Ask indicates our dependence. Seek indicates our diligence. And knock indicates our desperation. The question isn't, will God answer our prayers? The question is, do we have a strong enough desire to stay after it? Now, let's shift gears for a moment. I know that some of you live with a quiet desperation. You have a persistent pain that won't go away. For others, this time of year, it's a very sad grief or it's just an unexplainable dismay. Christmas is very difficult for some people. Jennifer Belcher and I talked to a woman on Thursday, and she just suddenly began to cry. Turns out her mother died three years ago, and she said, I just miss her so much during this time of the year. So for some of you, it's very difficult. Others of you may have an insecurity that is absolutely relentless or a past that just continues to haunt you. I want you to know that God often inhabits that very place of your desperation. 
God often inhabits that very place of your desperation. That is often the place where you will experience him in the deepest way that you probably ever will. When God saved you, he could have taken you out of this world. I mean, mission accomplished. But he left you in this world so you could be part of his church that is not of this world so you could help rescue people out of this world. To use you to take people out of this world, he's got to take the world out of you. So he sculpts you and he chisels you and sometimes he breaks you so you will fit in his spiritual house. Now, no one likes to be broken. And at this point, many people find Jesus to be the stumbling stone. This will deeply test your faith. If you accept it, brokenness is the pathway to blessing. Now, we seldom, in fact, we throw away broken things. But God seldom uses anything unless it is broken. I mean, we could go through Scripture for another hour. I mean, Moses was broken on the backside of a desert. Gideon's pitcher was broken. That's when the light shined. Jesus broke a little boy's lunch, and it was miraculously multiplied. Mary had a box filled with perfume. When it was broken, the fragrance filled the room. If you want a crop, you've got to break up the fallow ground. And Jesus' body was broken for us, and when it was, it resulted in eternal life for multiplied millions. Brokenness tests your faith, and it's been well said that a faith that has not been tested cannot be trusted. Be patient, be persistent, pray always, and I believe the day will come when you will look back and see that God was transforming you. And I want to tell you, I wouldn't preach this unless it was true in my life. I believe you'll look back and see that God was transforming you, meeting you in that place of desperation in a far greater way than you could imagine at the time. It's also my observation, I can't prove this scripturally, so take it or leave it, that God generally doesn't meet us in a place of prosperity. And that takes us to number four, and that's the principle of God's gracious giving, verse 11. Now, suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Here, Jesus is teaching the way the rabbis taught. It was an argument from what was called light to heavy or lesser to greater. So verses 11 and 12 are the lesser argument. No decent father would give a snake to a son that wants a fish. And some scorpions then would roll up in a ball and resemble an egg. So no decent father would give their son something that looked good, but it wasn't what they needed. So a son asks for a fish and an egg, basic needs, food. Despite human sin, decent men will provide their kid what is needed. Verse 13 is the greater argument. Therefore, we can trust God far more to graciously give us exactly what we need. We can pray with this confident expectation that in the eternal perspective, not in the short term, in the eternal perspective, God will give us what is good. He may not answer us in the way we expect or the time frame we desire. We may look at things and say, how could this possibly turn out for good? But verse 13 says he knows how to give good gifts to his children far more than any man. But then he amplifies that statement. Keep reading in verse 13. He said, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, that's a curious phrase. 
I've pondered over that before, and I found out that commentators say almost nothing about it. Charles Spurgeon said that good things here means the Holy Spirit. Now, he was Charles Spurgeon, (laughs) and I'm the nothing of nothings, but I think we can go through this step by step and get a grasp of what this means. First of all, we have a contrast between a human father and a heavenly father, and the heavenly father will give us what is good. At this point in Scripture, remember the day of Pentecost had not come. The Holy Spirit had not yet been given to believers. So his hearers would have understood this in Old Testament terms. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon people to provide extraordinary power to do God's work. For example, he came upon Joshua to lead the Israelites into Canaan. He came upon Othniel, Gideon, and Samson in Judges. He came upon King David. He came upon Saul in 1 Samuel. And then, this confuses people, he departed him due to disobedience. The Holy Spirit does not depart believers in this New Testament age. But in context, I think they would have understood it like this. Ask for the Holy Spirit, and he will give you extraordinary power to pray. Again, we've got to define terms. What is the power to pray? Well, first, I think it's the power to overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil that keep us from praying. The world says prayer is foolishness. The flesh is either too lazy, too prideful, or too discouraged to pray. And the devil opposes prayer at every turn. It's the power to overcome that evil trio. It's also the power for us to pray for God's will to be done on earth and in our lives as God's will is done in heaven. It's hard to pray that sometimes, that our lives would conform to the will of God according to the word of God. And in this age, we know that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us as we pray. I want to read Romans chapter 8, verse 27 to you in the New Living Translation because this is so clear. It says, in the Father who knows all hearts, knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for believers in harmony with God's own will. That is one of the greatest encouragements I see in Scripture to pray. I may pray and I may mess it up, but the Holy Spirit will make it right. So when you pray, ask for the power of the Spirit to pray. And this is how we can pray boldly. And we can pray persistently, and we can pray expectantly. So here's a question. I'm going to ask you a question, and I want you in your mind, not out loud, but in your mind to answer the very first thing that comes to mind. What is your prayer this morning right now? Without thinking about it, what's the thing that comes straight to the top? Pray about it boldly. Pray about it persistently, and pray about it expectantly. It may be that Jesus would save your entire family, this entire county. They say, well, that's, that's a little much. Listen, friend, history tells us there have been awakenings of God that saved more people in an area of the world larger than Leavenworth County. Pray that the direction of our nation would be reversed. You say, well, that seems impossible. Nothing is impossible for God. Pray for your spouse. Pray for yourself. Pray for your kids. Pray for your neighbors. For some of you, it may be, Lord, I pray that my anxiety would lessen, that my depression would lift, that the struggles I have with mental health would stop. Pray for financial needs, physical problems. Above all, 
Pray for spiritual and eternal matters and for King Jesus to be exalted in this world and don't stop praying. And what I want us to do right now, we're just going to take a couple of minutes. It's going to be silent in here. I want you to bow your heads and that very first thing that came to mind and anything else that you want to pray about for the next couple of minutes, let's just pray.